So on the start line, I was feeling good, confident. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun. The first part of the course, they put us into some quite technical terrain. It turned into, I would say, slightly more classic continental terrain. It felt so easy that I switched off. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Running Podcast with myself and Catherine. We are joined today by Josh Dudley following his recent exploits at the World Orienteering Championships. So we'll be chatting everything WOC with Josh uh, and I look forward to the upcoming World Cup in the Czech Republic in a couple of weeks' time. So welcome, Josh. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> good to have you. Yeah. How are you, Catherine? I'm good. Uh, WOC was a lot of fun. We had two really, really close races in both the long distance and the middle distance races. Fights for the medals the whole time. That was really, really exciting to watch. Unfortunately, the relays were a little bit more straightforward when it comes to the, the, the top teams. And we got some big gaps there. So they were a little bit, a little bit less exciting. But I had the opportunity to pre-run the middle and the relay. That was a lot of fun as well. And you know what? You know what? Every single year when it comes to walk, I'm just surprised by how high the level is how high the level of organization there were like big screens everywhere and there was a massive stage for the prize giving and loads and loads of people were there and the swiss fans always turn up even for a world cup so they were really there for a walk and it was very cool yeah even from a distance it was very cool to see the pictures and the videos and it was really cool how like quickly everything was coming out you know there were like highlight reels every day and there were analysis of all the maps and everything it was yeah it looked like a really slick operation i think yeah there were loads of media there yeah <laughs> the media the media center was full yeah did you notice all this josh or was it um, fans. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was your first walk then josh what did you make of the whole kind of level of everything and what were your impressions of of it of the whole event it being your first time being there yeah very positive experience um i think what was really nice was that they really tried to take care of the athletes by putting us in a, I guess you could call it an athlete village, um, which gave it a little bit more of an Olympic feel, even though it's, uh, we know it's not the Olympics and it's not yet an Olympic sport, but um, it meant you could sort of bump into any country that were jogging or having a coffee or something and um, next to the accommodation. And, and then everything was in, within walking distance from the accommodation. So, that little difference actually made it more more of a competition feel that uh, uh, everyone could enjoy. Um, Is that, um, I guess, because obviously we've raced uh, a few World Cups together in the last few years. So how did you, how did you feel the difference was from going from kind of those World Cup races through the year to the World Champs? Did you notice much of a, a difference either in organisation or races or? I guess on a... On a, on a basis from, you know, going into a quarantine that we're quite familiar with and then putting your race number on to go into a start and doing a race, not any big differences there. Um, perhaps more of a mental pressure that I had on myself, at least, that this is the World Championships and, and mm-hmm. it's more of a select uh, stage of people racing um Fewer, fewer group of people than in the World Cups. Um, and I, probably the arena was more extravagant and, and more things going on for spectators. Um, I think they really put a lot of effort into that uh, compared to the World Cups. I think it's yeah. interesting yeah. as an athlete because you've, you've got all that around you with all the sort of extra stuff you know you've got like obviously Catherine mentioned the media and you've got kind of more teams staying close together there's more fans around and there's a bit more maybe um kind of focus and sort of scrutiny on what you're doing and I think as an athlete it's hard to not want to get dragged into that and not in a negative way like it's exciting mm-hmm. to be there and you want to do everything but I guess yeah like on some level you have to restrain yourself and just kind of keep to your processes and, and treat it as a normal event as much as you can but yeah it's a shame because I think there is a lot of really fun stuff that goes on around walk that maybe as an athlete you see less of yeah there were so many like sponsors um stalls around the whole thing mm. the Swiss army had built the grandstand there was like the, the mascot going around everywhere and then there was there was all sorts of activities but Josh I think someone had um you know you're talking about like the the 
pressure that comes from yourself as going into world championships. I think someone spotted that um, it's been on your athlete profile for, for it's a debut walk, um, like Switzerland 2023 question mark, like from quite a few years ago. So have you been building to this one for a while? I, I Firstly, I don't think I've seen that uh, on the athlete profile. So that's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned it. But uh, it was my debut walk uh, for sure. It's always been a dream to be able to represent GB at a world champs. Uh, so one dream tick in a box, which is <laughs> in, a, in a very simplistic way. But um, no, I think I, I really tried to go for Czech Republic in 2021 and didn't didn't get there. The, the test races were tough and my performance wasn't wasn't ready. Um, and uh, to be completely honest, this year, Norway World Cup was my biggest focus uh, to, to be in good shape for that. And I would wanted to give the test races a good try based on, uh, based on my fitness level after that. And uh, that, that surprised me in a good way that, that I was in good shape. And then first world, world champs kind of rolled around the corner and... Uh, yeah. Do you think that possibly benefited you to some extent? Because I guess if you've got that that first World Cup as your main priority, and then mm. you're not you're not solely focused just on the World Champs for that. You know, that's your only race for the year. So you've already had like a positive experience, and then you kind of carry that positivity through rather than, um, like from my own experience, it was the test races are the be all and end all, and then there's a lot more mm. focus and pressure on that rather than the sort of the longer arc, I guess, from World Cup into test races into walk. So maybe you can go into those test races with a little bit less pressure. Yeah, I think you're totally on something there, uh, Nathan, because it, uh, we have, at least in the UK, the JK being a, a big selection race for the year. And um, it's, it's, I suppose it's relatively early in comparison to a lot of other countries or selections. Um, so I knew that being good at the JK would my shape would be still in good good place for Norway um, but kind of moving a little bit later into I mean we had walk now in July that's three and a half months after is it three and a half months after JK yeah, which is a long is, time yeah. to kind of maintain that form um and it, it makes it a little bit complicated when, when we want to reach our best form um, and then perform at these test races a month before that. So, uh, yeah, I think having having those positive experiences early in the season helped a lot. Um, but I feel, <laughs> personally, I maybe got the formula wrong from the test races to walk. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, how, it how was so? a tough week. Is, it, yeah. is that in terms of maybe trying to like force it a little bit too much into walk after the test races or maybe burning too much energy at the test races before going to walk if that makes sense is it uh yeah i don't know yeah maybe putting like almost too much into walk which sounds like an odd thing yeah it feels like you can't do that too much but um yeah i guess it's you know you want to do as much as you possibly can but maybe sometimes you overreach when you get in that in that mindset i think i think that is definitely one thing i've been kind of reflecting on a bit when looking through the the preparation weeks up to walk um because i've if uh, those that get selected we want to give it everything we have um and often that is counterintuitive we have to actually take our foot off the gas pedal and, and maybe do a little bit less so that we uh the body is ready uh, when we have these these big races, um, and I and I think the, that's kind of what I did in the latter week before the races. I, I uh, was in Switzerland. It's not super high altitude, but perhaps getting into the forest too often and pushing too hard, um, and then I wasn't maybe recovering as well as I would back home uh, at sea level. So. Uh, I went into the races not maybe feeling as good as I did 
in the test races either. So it's a, it's an important learning the, that we will meet a number of times. I suppose if you if you look at it, you know, in hindsight, uh, if you get through the test races and you've performed well, then what you're doing to lead into the test races is is what's working for you. And yeah. then when you you kind of change things because you think oh, I'm in the team now, so it needs to be even more focused and everything needs to be even more specific. And actually, if you just keep on that nice consistent trajectory, that probably lands you in a better a better place out of the race. But yeah, I mean, I think I had a similar thing before world champs last year in denmark i found mm. put a lot into the test race and then suddenly everything was about right i need to run quick i need to run lots of sprint sessions and yeah maybe a little bit of burnout just creeps in in that last week or so and you almost feel it coming but you don't want to quite believe that that's what's happening so it's uh it's a tricky balance yeah. for sure yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah, when you you think oh, this is there's a little bit related to the sort of you, you do the planning of okay now this is what i think would be my way to prepare best and then it's it's a difficult thing to sort of say no actually <laughs> yeah better you skip two or three of those sessions and, and just have a rest day or, or um yeah looking back at it now <laughs> well hindsight's a good thing but let's um i want to talk a little bit about the races and the terrain because it was um, yes. so spectacular out there um we started with that middle qualifier on the wednesday can you tell us a little bit about what what that middle distance terrain was like because it's it's super special super specialized to that area yeah yeah honestly um so for those that aren't so familiar with it it's uh historic landslide uh, terrain that has come I guess up from the the top of the mountains where the glaciers are and then it's been pushed or it just yeah landslide just fell um, down into the valley and therefore there's no there's no pattern to it it's it's very irregular and you end up with um, shapes all sorts of sizes just uh, that you have to navigate um, and we, we we discussed this in the team a lot about how how can we solve this terrain. Um, when you look at one of the maps, you'll understand why. Um, but it but it came back down to sort of the elementary aspects of just navigating from feature to feature, and and really getting yourself to those features before moving on to the next one. Um, yeah, if you it's not to, like yeah. sand dunes or moraine that has like a pattern to it, and you can pick out really obvious lines. There's sometimes you might be able to pick out a line of uh, depressions or something, but not not often. Exactly. Yeah, and if the yeah, mapper and, had yeah. or the planner had planned it uh, well enough, that they would they would really try and and uh, challenge the runner on on those aspects. Yeah. yeah. So what was what was your middle qualifier like then? Tell us about your race. Yeah, oh, that's uh, an emotional day for me. So um, I apologize for any tears that appear. But <laughs> it, uh, I, I went into it feeling pretty pretty good. Um, mentally, I felt very prepared. I'd done a lot of prepare, preparation for this kind of complex terrain, um, and the warm up went fairly well as well. So on the start line, I was feeling good, confident, and Matthias Kibberts was on one side and uh, somebody else on the other side. So it was like, yeah, oh, this is this is going to be fun. But <laughs> the, the three different heats, so mm. he wasn't running the same race. Um, the first part of the course, they put us into some quite technical terrain uh, that uh, I was very prepared for, and I got through these complicated controls very well. Um, was very happy with that and then uh, it turned into I would say slightly more classic continental terrain where you have slightly bigger slopes and you have some paths that you're crossing and mixed vegetation and in some of these areas I could sort of it, it felt so easy that I switched off and mm -hmm. I lost my concentration because it felt almost too easy to be what I'd prepared for. Um, and then I started making mistakes and losing time. I was, uh, first control that I made a mess on was number three. Just 
not taking a, an attack point off and, and saying I will just find the, the feature and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, because um, there was the big the big crack before the control wasn't there. So I guess I, exactly. I, well, yeah, from when we were at Switzerland before, I remember thinking, yeah, sometimes as you run along the paths, you're going to see that big crag. You know, it's it's maybe only 50, 75 meters away from the path, but because of the visibility, even if it's a two, three meter crag, you still can't see that because it's a yep. bit bushy. So that makes a lot of sense. I think it's yeah, it's it's quite punishing terrain for that sort of thing, not having an attack point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and and because it was perhaps easier than the terrain I was preparing for, the course didn't lead itself to any mistakes at all. Really, you you really wanted to get through that qualification on a fairly clean run, um, and uh, I made uh, about four of these very simple mistakes. One that I think my GPS wasn't fully working. So if one looks back, they'll see. Control 13, which uh, you can basically attack it just off a path, uh, bend, and then down into a re-entrant. And I just overshot it. I just kept running and didn't uh, come off that bend accurately. But when you look at it, it's it's basically like an orange control, <laughs> or it's it's not a it's not something I can be uh, making a mess of. So I was very disappointed when I came to finish. Um, having made such, uh, could you tell it was not a race that was going to get you qualified? Yeah, yeah, I I did not deserve to qualify having having a performance like that. Um, if I had got through, it would have been uh, sheer sheer luck, um, fool's luck, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but it but it uh, every time something like that happens in a race that doesn't go to my intentions then it, it's also a significant learning to find out why that was the case and go back into the sort of basics of why was i orienteering like this and not how i would like to orienteer uh, so that was maybe a good wake-up call before the long distance and for future races um it's a shame that it just had to be on world champs <laughs> middle qualifiers it's kind of the it's the most brutal sort of event that, that can happen in terms of being a qualification race because you know all you have in your mind really is that you need to qualify that's kind of the, the only objective the placing within that top 15 really doesn't matter but you know you need to be in it so i find when you have things like that yeah any small mistake feels like it's eating into that buffer and yeah you know if I think it's um, it's really easy to sit at home and watch the GPS and, and think, oh, I'd just go there and I'd you know do this, I'd take that route, whatever. But I think when you add that pressure of being a the world champs and be a qualification, like the pressure is is really high and it's really mm. difficult to sort of manage your emotions when things happen on the course that you're not necessarily expecting. Um, but I think it's a like you say, it's a really like really horrible lesson to learn and especially at the world champs, but one that like going forward you'll probably almost sort of um be grateful for because you know you're you've had that mm. you've had that experience you know how to deal with that now so then the next time you're in that situation i think the um the sort of reaction can be a little bit calmer and more mature but yeah like totally uh totally empathize with you there it's a it's a it's a brutal uh place for it to happen and uh yeah like you say it's just a really it's a difficult situation but one that you'll hopefully hopefully learn from. Exactly, one one has to learn the hard way sometimes. But I, <laughs> I also really try to look at every session and take the positive parts out as well. Even though there are some, uh, it's always good to look at the things you can improve. And from this middle qualifier, when the terrain was technical and the, the controls were placed in difficult locations my my strategy my plan and my orienteering was what i wanted to be doing um it was up there with top splits and and as a shame the gps can't show it but <laughs> but i know at least what i did um and th that kind of was a nice sort of glint of what what i'd been preparing for was working but uh, it just you have to be able to follow it through the whole race and the planner can do 
do things that maybe you didn't expect as mm. well. Mm. Um, well, so it looks like so you were you were twentieth in your heat. Um, we did have Ralph qualify in ninth. Um, Ali Thomas qualify in fourteenth. Cecilia she also missed out. She was also in twentieth. Um, but we had Megan through in third. I saw she was caught up by Simona Abersold and um by two minutes, but still managed to make it through in third. And Grace made it through into eighth. So that was four out of the six. And then straight away it was onto that long distance, which was very, very different. Um, you got the cable car up to the top. Um, mm. It was very, very downhill. And for me, I was when I saw the maps, I was really surprised there was no like kind of classic Swiss route choice leg, at least not at the beginning, not high up, because it was basically one big slope. And often when there's a kind of a few hills in the way, there's quite a like a lot of really long legs where you could go mm. quite a long way round or a few lot of different ways round um, to kind of solve the puzzle of, of was of what was the best. So I guess, how did you find the course and was it kind of, was it what you were expecting? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, I can, I can kind of concur with you there that there were not many, there was, there was number five, I think was the first long leg but it didn't feel like a significant challenging long leg it was quite straightforward and no you had to get the micro then, route choices right to get it to make it to be yes. fast it wasn't like the big picture route choices that didn't really no. matter which was what was quite unusual about it you're totally totally right there uh, the micro choices made a, a big impact on the the runability and and then how much time you could save um on that route mm. Um, and then there's some, but yeah, generally in terms of how was we we spent a lot of time looking at the embargoed area, which was huge, <laughs> um, <laughs> and really trying to understand the. At least I spent a lot of time understanding what what big legs could they put in here because those longer legs are where you can lose, but also gain a lot of time in a long mm. distance. Um, and then I spent a lot of time working out what what's my strategy going to be to actually assess these longer legs um, and practice that. Uh, so so I came into the race doing doing that, and, and a lot of it relies on looking at the contours. Obviously, contours are king in in these kind of terrains, and and that worked very well. Um, but I I expected it to start high up and you know we <laughs> Emil Wingstead the, the night before he said um, so we know where the pre-start is no we don't know where the pre-start is but anyone who gets it correct will get a cake <laughs> and so we we had a big map and everyone was trying to assume based on the, the bulletin details where it would be uh, I think I got pretty close me and Pete Bray were, were maybe the closest uh, did anyone actually get some cake though that's the question we all want to know yeah um perhaps indirectly but uh <laughs> no i i may need to follow up on that one <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's uh it's harsh running that whole long distance and not having a piece of cake at the end I think that's <laughs> yeah. a really brutal bit of coaching there <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um so, there was uh, a lot of drop as well yeah, we we calculated that it would be about for the men's maybe eighteen hundred meters of drop. Um, so you're running down uh, one and a half. Ben Nevis, no, maybe not quite, but uh, <laughs> two Munros going downhill and then a Corbett going up. So it was, <laughs> yeah, it was going to be a it was going to be a tough day out. And I think most of the course we could expect would be there because that was mostly mapped already mm. and they just added a section in the middle to join those two bits up mm. but the area when they took us over the road so that was probably the biggest uncertainty where mm. are they going to cross over mm. you know they could come down that that moraine where we did the test race or they could you know use this passenger bridge that all the pedestrians were crossing over or or should we go under this tunnel but then Took us under the tunnel, as you saw. Mm. Um, yeah, it looks it looks like the uh, 
it's close to the area that we went to the start on the test race, I think. Maybe a little bit further yeah. north. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Very you had a map, and then you had a map exchange there as well. So I yeah. know a lot of people thought you'd be heading straight back to the arena from there, but then yes. it proved to be, for the medals at least, like the two most decisive legs of the race were in that last bit because they were a bit more route choicey. Yeah, it was really good planning, um, and especially that that last long leg uh, to have one so close to the end of the course. Uh, when people are sort of tired, they they think they're at the end, but they're not. And uh, that's when it really counts in the long distance. Um, Did you so get it right, had, that long uh, leg? Unfortunately, I didn't. Um, <laughs> you had to go straight, the, by the way. If you had, anyone wants to look back at the at the maps, you basically had to go straight and up the track that was kind of quite close to the red line. I'm kicking myself because... about that one because... I got halfway through calculating the route choice on that and then said to myself, yeah, it's definitely that way. And I picked the left route on the path. But had I gone through the full calculation, I'm quite sure I would have picked the middle one. But I just... The middle one wasn't very attractive because there was so much climb out of the control. Uh, You had to climb, climb, climb quite a lot. And then the rest of it was quite easy. So I think that put a lot of people off. Yeah, you have to sort of applaud the planner a little bit with that because that's kind of... Uh, a lot of people fell into that trap, I suppose, of feeling like it's easier running going left. But yeah, like I say, you, you sort of run a similar amount of climb and more distance. So it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's it's very well planned at the end of a long distance to have something that really forces you to... Yeah. I, th- I think that's where Kiebert's probably lost the gold medal. It was, yeah. yeah. I think it was, yeah. yeah, yeah. Big, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think... And I think Megan lost a top six or mm. not even higher than that on the one the route choice immediately after the map right, change, right and the, then the yeah. and then the one going that one that we're describing going north as well because she went she started going straight and then went round to the right. So I think and with a, a little mistake in the second loop of controls as well, I think otherwise mm. she would have been pretty close to a medal to be honest um there's just a yeah. few small things that just just put her off and it was still her best ever walk res- walk result though um walks uh, forest result obviously it was really um, really tight for the to get that bronze in the middle um in the women's long mm. actually i mean the, there was a whole group of them there fighting for it so yeah. it's really really positive to see actually um uh, yeah, so in yeah. the end we had Megan was in seventh, Cecilia was in thirtieth, uh, Joe Shepherd was in thirty first, and then yourself and Pete were really close together, thirty uh, seventh and thirty ninth. When we had, of course, the win for Casper Fosser, the Norwegian, um, who I think absolutely I've heard absolutely wrecked himself basically on that course, and I think somebody saw him trying to trying to walk afterwards. He was like could barely move the day afterwards. Thank God it was a rest day, but I think he kind of. Uh, pushed it too hard for the other two days to be honest um, and a win for home favourite Simona Abersold which was very exciting to see her get her first ever title when Tova had won I think it was about five or six long distance world titles in a row so um, of course the Swiss fans had a lot to cheer on um, for that one that was very very exciting um, then with the rest day and those, the middle distance as well I think on those results, Meg, Meg was sixth in 2021 in the long, just looking back. Oh, yeah, um, sorry. So, yeah, one place away. From <laughs> I knew it was really yeah, close. I knew she was either sixth or yeah. eighth in... Um, oh, so thanks for correcting me. Yeah, um, no worries, sorry. <laughs> it was very close, though, to her, her yeah. previous best. Yeah. Uh, I know I she think, was, like, um, a bit... Had a big, I think, mixed feelings about, about the race. Yeah, I, th- I remember seeing an interview with her just beforehand saying... Um, I think it was a really positive sort of approach in saying that if she was happy with her race, then that was good enough. And I think, um, yeah, maybe a little bit of frustration just on those couple of mistakes at the end. But it's exciting to see the potential is definitely there for for Mm. those really top results. I think so. Josh, just on on your long distance, Josh, could you not get the... uh, the four seconds on the running to get ahead of Pete? Or uh, (laughs) the the leg's just a bit too gone then? (laughs) Was it four seconds? I think so, yeah. Just looking at the... uh, on the results, yeah, Pete was uh, one fifty eight thirty five, 
and you will... Oh, no, 159. Apologies. I was reading... Uh, I think it was, yeah, I think I was, it was re- a minute and four seconds. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was reading, was that, uh, yeah. I was reading one minute wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been no, a very fast yeah. running then to, to get that time. <laughs> There's a couple of places I lost that minute, I'm afraid, but it, it's... Um... It's quite funny after such a race that that we can be so so close uh, in the mm-hmm. results. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I think I think it shows the. It's quite nice to see that everyone's at a similar level to keep kind of pushing each other for the next few years. Um. So Josh, could you actually watch any of the middle distance? Did you head down there? Did you watch it from your accommodation? Did you just try and stay away from the whole thing? Yeah. Uh... I'm trying to think back now we yeah we went to the arena in the morning to just go for a jog me and will actually um while the others were in quarantine and it was you know really strange this feeling of being at a competition and being able to see the courses and the maps before the competition started mm-hmm. um so i went and got a couple of the maps actually just because I really wanted to see them. Um, but we watched it back from the accommodation because it was a really hot day. We didn't want to be um, drained of, of all our hydration and, and energy out in the sun. But it was really good to, to watch. Um, yeah. What did you make of the courses then when you first saw them? I thought the the first half looked really fun. Um, and then there was this really boring path section uh, across the bottom of the lake and then it went fun again uh, so I think they had to do it somehow across the lake and everyone wondered how um, so um, it was it was inevitable but I, I think the courses looked great uh, yeah. the terrain yeah uh, looked amazing yeah, it really was. Yeah, it's disappointing that they we had this like TV control by the lake, and every time people were running by there, I was like, "This is a really boring bit. Like, can't we show some interesting bit where there's more? They're actually doing some orienteering, and you can see people going wrong, or all of those kind of things." And all we just saw was this lake. I think the I don't know if any of the like the local tourist boards had any say in where it would be because like I know like it's a really touristy area and they'd given like loads of money to walk and they obviously want their big tourist season is in the winter and they really wanted more people to come in the summer which is why like loads of accommodation was sponsored and it was a really big thing and and apparently this lake is quite famous in the area and it's like the color of the lake is all the color of the branding um so they were really excited to like show pictures of this lake but it just made the orienteering look really boring when the rest of it was quite exciting i think there was one finnish guy that ended up running through part of the lake yes topi sirilainen yes we saw him on the broadcast yes uh probably to keep cool but uh i don't know if the route choice was any good (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was definitely slow but it was it was so hot that day i mean the commentary box was just it was very sweaty i can tell you that um we were like right in the sun and the the, the sun was coming through the windows as well it was not not the most um fun experience um but it was it was quite an exciting race and um all the winning times were really long and the women's was won by Tova Alexanderson again reta- retaining her title and also retaining his title Matthias Kibberts of Switzerland for the men's with what I thought was like a near flawless performance I thought he basically made no mistakes yeah it reminded me a little bit of um when Thierry ran his last middle distance and he you know put everything into that and basically pulled off yeah, pretty much a perfect race. It was very similar. It was, you know, it didn't put a foot wrong from what you could see, really. And I think the winning margin shows that. Yeah, it was like a two-minute winning margin, which is unheard yeah. of, basically, in, in the middle distance. Um, yeah. Were you were you um, sat there, Josh, wishing you could be a part of it? Yeah, I, if completely honest, I was very jealous uh, not to be able to run in it. I'd, I'd prepared a lot for that middle technical race and hadn't really managed to get to it um but at the same time we just really enjoyed trying to see how everyone was 
taking on the race because um, I mean really proud of uh, like Joey getting his silver medal and uh, um, oh the uh, the Austrian, Austrian oh, yeah. Janis Bonek yeah Janis getting his third place I mean it uh, just a really really cool race there's really difficult orienteering and there's the physical aspect to it and uh, yeah it, it was it was just fun to to be there and, and spectate um, yeah it was really cool and in terms of the the Brits so Ralph was 29th Ali was 34th uh, Megan was 12th and um, Grace was 28th again like a bit of nerve-wracking moment watching Megan make a lose three and a half minutes on the last control that was in the forest um, I think she was a bit a little bit too high was quite a tricky control right near the end um, and but I think just seeing that men's podium with three guys who were like just so happy to be there, all of them, Matthias Kibbert's winning, Joey Haddon second, Yanis Bonnick in third, like it just was joyous watching them all. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was a really exciting race like all the way to the end as well because um, I think like Josh was saying, I saw the first half or two thirds and thought, yeah, this looks really good and then it panned across and to be honest, I was quite disappointed as a spectator because I thought they're going to get to the lake and then basically run it in along the paths. But it was interesting to see how many people actually did lose quite a lot of time over those last few controls. I don't know whether maybe maybe you see the map and think, oh, I, I just run along the path and then cut in and maybe you lose a little bit of that sort of discipline. But um, yeah, it, it made for surprisingly entertaining racing all the way through. And then we had the relay, um, the guys coming uh, 17th overall, uh, the girls coming 8th overall. And um, Josh, you were on second leg then for that one. Yeah, nervous, nervous uh, legs for those, for that race, yeah. Nervous in, in, in the pre-start, the whole way through? What was going on? I, I wasn't feeling my full self on the day of the race. Um, and I'm not sure if... I had fully recovered from the long or if, uh, I don't know, I had something had eaten the day before, but I was feeling quite low on, on energy and kind of a bit shaky in the legs. Um, I had the warm up and was feeling nervous as, uh, as normal. And it was a hot day. It was, it was particularly hot that day. Uh, and, Will had set off. He had a really good run, and uh, was hearing on the commentary. You know, only forty seconds down, and then people started coming through the run through. And I think he was maybe, yeah, almost two minutes down by then. And I, I learned later on why. But uh, he'd had a pretty strong run, so I wanted to just go out and give it my technical all and, and really have a clean, clean race. I knew it was going to be tough physically um, and just really wanted to give it all. It was only five and a half K, so would hope that the body would last. Um, <laughs> and set off, had a really good first half. Um, wasn't able to hold on to the, the Austrian that uh, went out just before me, uh, but was technically very stable. And then we had this long route choice from the top of the hill mm. across to the other top. Um, and when I looked at the, the, the route choice, it, it looked inviting to me to go left via the path mm. um, because you, you kind of, you break the climb down a little bit into a, a more gradual ascent, uh, aim to run that harder. But at the same time, you also have to climb a bit more versus the straight option. Uh, slightly to the right which was quicker um, and on that second climb I also basically had nothing left in the gas uh, and was was fighting <laughs> a lot to just keep going the rest of the race uh, I had a small slip on one of the last scaffolds before the changeover um, which was really frustrating but then uh, managed to hold it together to the end of the race. I was, yeah, I was very disappointed after that race. Um, it was not a, 
not a not a, not a representative uh, race of how it should have been. Um, but I think uh, I was also maybe exhausted from from the whole week, um, more than yeah. I expected to be. Um, well, you you were running all all the disciplines. You were selected for all the disciplines. Um, you mentioned quickly how Will on first leg suddenly dropped down. Can you tell us a little bit more about? about what, what happened to him there? Because it was really hard to see from the broadcast. Yeah, so, I mean, at the time in quarantine, we didn't know really anything. Um, we were just able to listen to what what was kind of being said in the spe- the speakers or, or who was coming through the run-through. Um, so Emil said, yeah, he's come through now with a good group. Um, and then after the race, was discussing with him and I, one of the controls on the far hill he had punched when he was in the leading pack and it hadn't beeped or registered so he went back to that control to double ensure that he had punched it otherwise there was a high risk we could have been disqualified uh, if it hadn't punched and then by the time he'd gone back and it was difficult to to catch back up to the leading group. Yeah, he'd said to me that he wasn't sure or not whether it had registered. And as soon as that thought went through his brain that you just have to, you have to go back because otherwise you it's going to play on your mind. Like it would have played on his mind for the rest of the time. And he says, you know, he's quite a risk. He was saying he's quite, a, he thinks he's quite a risk averse person. So he wanted to go back and just check it rather than taking that risk that, yeah, of course it registered. And because of, you know, everybody drills into you with relays. From when you're a kid, don't miss punch. That is like the number one rule from a relay. Don't miss punch. And then I think he also had like the longer gaffel towards the end as well, um, which made him drop back a bit, which was weird because the course planners, I was chatting to Simona Nigley and she was saying like, we want the, all the, the gaffles to be quite even and everything. And they all were quite even apart from that one at the end, which was quite strange. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Um, that gaffer was a little bit extended there. But I think his position um, that he came in was really good for us uh, to go out in. I'm, I feel like I was a bit of the weak link in what we had potential to achieve that day. And uh, it's yeah, it, it still baffles me a little bit why I was able to be so exhausted on that race. Was the leg order decided? Like, when did you know which leg you were running? Because I don't know. If, like, do you think if you ran maybe like the last leg, there would have been, I don't know, maybe a bit more time to settle in and like get your body going a little bit rather than sort of chasing from the start? Because I think when you start second leg, you sort of it's almost a continuation of first leg. That first few controls, you're so either chasing a pack or you're being chased by people. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I was thinking about that if we had changed the leg order, but I. I honestly think it wouldn't have impacted my physical ability on the day. Sure, sure. Um, I think it would be more that I probably need a, another full day of rest uh, and then just build up the energy stores again. Mm. But, uh, well, the whole, again, the courses, the winning times for the legs were way longer than the planners had hoped they were going to be. And I mean, um, we came back from pre-running and Jonas, my co-commentator, was like, oh, it's like way more runnable than than the middle. And I was like, is it really? <laughs> because did you see how much did you do all the climb? I mean, I didn't even do all the climb, but the first bit, I kind of did the first half of it and took a few of the different controls, um, like a few of the different forkings. Um up towards kind of the top of the first hill and then like I was quite glad that had taken me enough time because I got lost on the, one of the forkings that I was like well now I definitely don't have time to go down and up that hill again so there's I, there's there's not even there's not even discussion as am I going to do this this leg the answer is just no because I've got to get back in time because it was you got you're climbing 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 for the first half of the race then there's like the most brutal downhill the most brutal uphill again and then you, you come back at the end and then there's like ridiculous last loop where it's also uphill. I mean, it's so physical. Like it was so physical, that race. I think as well, given that it's at the end of, um, you know, like yourself, Josh, if you've run three hard Alpine races in the last sort of four days, then I wonder whether that was maybe not taken into account enough by the planners or whether they maybe they're so used to like Alpine running that 
it didn't cross their mind that you know mere mortals would be absolutely <laughs> exhausted by that point. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the I, I I didn't see it myself, but yeah, my fr- my friend in the Danish team, uh, I think he, if I understand correctly, he collapsed very close to the finish line and mm. had to be stretchered. Uh, towards the finish to tag his mate on because of exhaustion as well and I think a lot of people were close to that physical limit uh, on on that day which maybe that's the planner's intentions Um, but I think it's also something for Team GB that we can consider how uh, do we expect people to run all the races maybe it was ambitious for me to (laughs) <laughs> try to run all of them and, and uh, maybe would have been good to have uh, two fresh people on the relay. Um, mm. Well, there were very few, for example, Swedes who ran all the disciplines. I think um, maybe Emil Svensk, Tove Alexanderson and Sarah Hagström, I think were the, were the only three who ran, who ran, certainly ran the middle and the, um, yeah, who ran all three, but a lot of people were doing that. Yeah. Marius trying to earn him. He collapsed. Um, just before the last control, all the medics rushed to him and then he seemed to be okay, kind of kept going again. Um, then again fell just after the last control and was cr- it was horrible. He was crawling to the finish. I was like, somebody just like be with him. I know you can't help because then they would be disqualified. It's such a difficult position to like be in. He crossed the line and then I think he was immediately on a stretcher. I think he was actually helicoptered to the airport. I think he was back again you know, he didn't spend a night in there. He was just in there for observation. But um, I was just feeling for the poor Danish guy who was on the third leg because you're watching your teammate really struggle to make it to the finish line. And then you've got to go out and somehow do some orienteering and find all the controls on the last leg. It was horrible. It was so warm. Mm. I feel like almost, you know, if you if that sort of like medical issue happens and someone's on the running... Like they've pretty much finished. They thought someone could just jog jog the dibber over to them and, yeah. and finish. Like it's not it's not like they've sort of cheated or gained an advantage in doing so. And when it's someone's kind of health on the line, I think mm. it's um, yeah, that sort of has to be the priority, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. It's a tough one. Hey Josh, in, what would you summarize your first world champs in three words? How would you how would you describe it? Ambitious, tired. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I need a third one. Oh, we need a third now. one. <laughs> Motivated. Hey, that's a nice one to end on. That's a nice one to end on. Um, but the the we go from one high, you know, really, really high level race to another really soon in a very, very different um type of forest. We head to the Czech Republic. It's a very similar area of the Czech Republic than um that we've been to before. There's four races, two, um, a sprint, a sprint relay, a um, long and a middle or a middle and a long. I think it's in that order. And I think, Josh, you're doing the longs, I think. The the forest races, sorry. Yeah, primarily focusing on the forest races. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you expecting that, you know, they're going to be very, very different. Do you, how do you, how do you, um, you know, expect the terrain to be like? If I'm completely honest, um I haven't spent much time looking at the terrain yet. Uh, it's been uh, a bit of a roller coaster preparing for walk, and my my plan has been that the preparations for walk will be beneficial towards check um, in in a lot of the physical aspects and and the technique. Um, this week, I'm I'm having a bit of an easy week, just trying to let the mind body catch up on on recovery again um and then we'll uh start geeking again on on specific race tactics uh, and and maybe think about how those things i did in check a couple years back um what i could bring back from there yeah, because there's no um, there's no old maps of the of the forest areas actually, and there's only two really really old maps of the sprint areas. Like they're so not useful; they're that old. Um, the sprint maps, um, and but I think it's going to be quite similar to what we've seen over the last few years um, in this part of the of the Czech Republic, and with those huge sandstone um, 
pillars basically loads and loads of rock pretty steep valleys um i'm sure we'll have lots of route choice as well and um you know you sound like you've you've been racing there before and i think it just looks like a really fun terrain to be in if you haven't had a chance to go out there i recommend any orienteer to put it on their bucket list it's uh, it's very special terrain sort of like yeah, a big kind of roller coaster theme park uh, kind of terrain it's quite funny hearing that it, there's only a couple of old maps because the preparation for walk was, I mean, it was quite remarkable. There was OCAD files for almost all maps in Switzerland that you could uh, plan your trainings on. And uh, you, you sort of, you pay for a, a session you did on a map. You don't pay for the OCAD file. So that mm. kind of preparation is opens it up to all athletes like this is the terrain type you know get out there and see what you got like get get good with it and having old maps makes it a bit more mystical and sort of what's the map really going to look like uh yeah so that, yeah, exactly. that'll be fun it will be fun. And we've got a big team going. Um, Brits are allowed to enter six um, athletes for each race. So we've got Cecilia Anderson, Grace Malloy, Joe Shepard, Rachel Brown making her World Cup debut, uh, Laura King, Charlotte Ward, Chloe Potter. We've also got uh, Ralph Street, Johnny Crickmore, yourself, Josh, yourself, Nathan as well, um, Pete Malloy, Freddie Carcass, who I think is also making his World Cup debut, and uh, Chris Millard as well. So a big team, which make, and obviously all of the nations will have big teams, which makes it really really hard to get any kind of top 30 top 20 um results because they are really really huge teams um uh nathan you obviously you're going as well um what are you expecting what challenges are you expecting in in all of those races yeah i'm, I'm really excited um i think having missed out on the world champs this year the sort of the world cup became my sort of natural next next goal so um i've been having a look on the kind of google uh, google street view and an open orienteering mapper for the sprints because that's what i'm uh, more focused on at the moment um i think it's not um compared to the last time there was a sprint in check it's not quite as special in terms of it's not like in a fortress it's mm. in seemingly a bit of an old town and more i suppose typical kind of european sprint so not expecting like a huge amount of um, sort of surprises in terms of the map, but I think probably some sort of barriers and uh, some sort of yeah artificial route choices from the organisers, which will be a lot of fun, and especially in the sprint relay. Um, and then in the forest, I think just really fun orienteering. I think physic physical, but not not as difficult as Switzerland. I think the, the runnability is better, so. I think the long distance has 200 meters more climb than the world champs long distance mm -hmm. did, but on significantly more runnable hills. And I think there's more opportunity to, to go round and miss some of that climb out. So, um, yeah, I suppose for me, the priority is the sprints and, uh, looking forward to, I guess, just some really fast, fairly, uh, sort of standard down the line sprints. And then, yeah, just super fun orienteering in the forest and, uh, I think a lot of opportunities because it's very special terrain and like Josh was saying, it's new maps. So uh, people that run at the world champs maybe have a slight advantage, but I think it's so different to what we run on normally that, uh, yeah, a clean race could, could put you anywhere in the results really. Yeah. It levels the playing field out and you mentioned the, the climb. So the long distance, which is on the Sunday, the women have got 9.4 K and 720 meters of climb. The men have got 13 K and 990 meters of climb. So Enjoy that one. Uh, yeah, I won't pre-run the long extra, distance. <laughs> oh, it'd be better if they found that extra 10 metres for the for the vertical K, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe definitely. have to do it in a warm-up instead. <laughs> and and what, what Nathan, like we like Josh Josh touched on it a little bit, but what does kind of your prep look like from, from now if, if we're like, you know, just under two weeks or about, about two weeks out? Yeah, so I, I suppose my, my prep sort of started three or four weeks ago. Um, so I've switched my training quite kind of considerably to be more sprint focused um probably from this coming weekend i'll start easing training down um it's a couple of kind of fun sprint races in the next couple of weeks around around leads that i'm running um i'll do a couple more sort of focused sprint sessions but i think um i'm just trying to really go in with the 
and that's like a positive attitude and trying to enjoy the whole experience of going away for the World Cup and being part of the team. And um, yeah, I think most of my preparation is going to be more around my kind of mental approach and being positive and enjoying it rather than being stressed and sort of detracting from the experience. So um, yeah, easing back physically and maybe um, getting that excitement going, I think. Yeah. Sounds it sounds good. Um, I think we won't touch any more on um, that Czech World Cup. Of course, we'll chat a lot about afterwards. But we want to end the interview with Josh. I think we're going to have some five uh, quick fire questions. Um, Uh-oh. I think, okay. Nathan, you're going to take this one, aren't you? Yeah, hopefully this might become a bit of a regular feature if it goes down well. So um, <laughs> I'm going to switch up the order a little bit from what we said earlier, Catherine. But okay, start off, it. Josh, with what is your favourite session in the week? Oh, orienteering intervals. Yeah, nice. With the club or on your own? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter, actually. Cool. Okay, next one. We're going to rattle through them quickly. So uh, what is your favourite pre-race song? Song? Oh, there's one uh, that I would had in my uh, walk playlist, and it's uh, I think it's Norwegian, and it's uh, it goes Vidra te fjellen, la kjellen, and I think that's that's recently come into my top pre-race uh, song. Very I don't cool. know what it's called, but I I uh, I can find it and send it to you. Yeah, please do, please do. Uh, yeah, we should make a uh, a, a running playlist of, of people's favorite songs. Well, yeah, we should get that on Spotify. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Uh, what is your favorite post race meal? <laughs> oh, I haven't thought of this one. I think it's it's probably going to be peanut butter and jam on toast. Um, nice. Yeah, that'd be pretty satisfying. Yeah, nice one. Okay. Yeah, that's so. one of my favourite ones as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I think it's crunchy a... or smooth peanut butter though. Crunchy. Oh, okay. I'm a fan of the smooth, but there we go. I can I can get on board with the crunchy peanut butter as well. <laughs> All right. Um, what is your favourite country to orienteer in? Well, it's 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 got to be Scotland. Um... Okay. Nice. Okay, yeah. and the final final question. If you could run in a relay with two other runners from any time, who would they be? Oh, well, one of them's got to be John Mosgrave back when I started orienteering. And my mate Callum Roberts, back when I started orienteering, we were like, we were the trio. And John was always beating us. That's why, if we could have John from back then, that would yeah. be... The Maroc dream team, yeah. That's definitely allowed. Definitely allowed. Okay, oh, we're going, we're going back to basics here. I love it. <laughs> Bit of nostalgia. <laughs> awesome. No Thierry Georgiou, no, uh, you know, Simona Nigley, no nah, Daniel Hoopman at his chance. peak. But no. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, those are our five quickfire questions. And um, with that, I think we'll wish you... Um, Best of luck for for the World Cup coming up in the Czech Republic. Thank you so much for going into so much detail about your races at WOC. It's really interesting to kind of hear the ups and the downs and the kind of more real picture that we get of what it's actually like to compete there. Cheers. Thanks a lot for having me. It's, um, it's a pleasure. Yeah. So before we end the podcast, I think we should round up a little bit of the orienteering news that we've had since the last podcast and, and what we've all been up to. Because um, Nathan, you were over at some Euro City races. They look kind of fun. Yeah, it was something that's been um, built up quite a lot in the last few months uh, here up in Yorkshire. So uh, Claro hosted the Euro City race in Harrogate and then we had a sprint in Nairsra on the Saturday. So um, yeah, really fun, really cool to get kind of a fairly high profile urban race in the UK normally it's maybe like the London City race is quite well attended and maybe the British sprints but um yeah nice to have it you know 30 minutes away from home which was always a benefit um yeah really really well organized I think uh they put a lot of effort in the courses were very well planned um I think the sprint was maybe as expected like tricky route choices around like a hilly old town um nice bits in the river and then uh, coming back into the castle at the end and then 
I think in urban, I always go in with a little bit of trepidation because sometimes you can just end up running around streets for yeah. quite a long time without for very ages. Yeah, yeah, but actually, it felt um, it felt almost like sort of three or four sprints put together, which was really good. There, like quite uh, high intensity orienteering, different different bits of the town. Really nice map that I think Quentin Harden had made through lockdown um, mm. with a few updates and additional sort of private gardens opened up. So yeah, like really, really uh, well-organised, well-planned event. Um, I'm starting to go off urban races. I think I'd rather have like two sprints in a day with a with a gap like they did in Ham, um, Slow put on uh, an event and that was really good. And I'm thinking, yeah, I want more of that. But this, this sounds good as an, as an urban though. Yeah, I think, I think if, a, if an urban's planned well it can be a lot of fun it's a good way to get so i use it as sort of sandwiched into the middle of my long run on sunday so it was nice to get sort of a bit of intensity and some orienteering mm. um in on that but yeah I, I know what you mean sometimes it's yeah you never quite know what you're getting within urban but um mm. no really good i think um good opportunity for um there was some sort of brands there as well doing a bit of uh, sponsorships at ultra were in attendance and up and running and there was a lot of local sort of um, companies that have come and um, donated prizes and put a lot of effort into it so really good to get the community involved um, and then there was some representation from Boff's Find Your Way initiative which Connor Smith who um, is leading on that in Boff has asked me to um, encourage clubs that aren't currently sort of picking that up and running with it um, yeah to, to use it as a really good platform to get people into orienteering so if you're interested in getting the Find Your Way going uh with a bit more sort of vim and figure in your area then reach out to connor or to us and we can yeah get you in touch that way fab and um uh what's going on in my world is that i've got only a couple of days left at work before i am off for two whole weeks and i've got so much orienteering i'm fitting into that one um i'm heading back up to lagging Lear for a week again um i've lost count of how, how many times i've coached um on this one but it's uh top 25 um 14 year olds in the whole of the uk brought together for a whole week's training camp um near aviemore and uh i've planned one of the days this time which is going on the edge of the lock farm map which i absolutely love the area um so I'm hoping we're going to have loads of fun and it's such a big it's such a rewarding camp to go on to see these juniors who it's it's their first ever training camp it's the first ever one on the british level a lot of them have never even been to scotland before i'd certainly never even like stepped foot in scotland let alone oriented in scotland when i went up there when i was 14 and you just see them you know getting to know each other and then you'll see at the Scottish Six Days all of the 14s walking around in a big pack because they now all know each other which is very exciting um so I'm heading up to that one and there's a whole load of like uh coaches in their kind of late teens early 20s as well who head on to that and get their first kind of experience of of coaching and everything which is which is really really exciting and I'll be going as you said straight from there to the Scottish Six Days which presumably Nathan you're not doing if you're heading straight to check no, unfortunately, I think that's the the one drawback of, of being in the team for Czech is not being able to go to the or five days to this year instead of six. It is five. It is. It's still called the Scottish Six Days. Yeah, oh, but yeah, it, there is a, there are yeah. five main days of racing. I think it's six if you count if you include the rest day, which has is, is seeming to turn into less and less of a rest day every single time. Yeah, they've got the sprint. I think and it's yeah, yeah. It's good. No, Mary, Mary, and my folks are heading up, but um, yeah, unfortunately, going to be. Um, racing in Czech Republic which isn't a terrible alternative to be honest well no I'm I think I'm doing three of the days before flying from Inverness via Amsterdam to Prague so I'm literally going from one to the other so I will get the Lossy, Darnaway and Rosal days I missed the two Colbin days but I'm for anyone like listening to this on their way up to the six days I love these areas with so much passion do I love these areas I think it's my favorite place in the world definitely in the uk but possibly in the world to go orienteering because the forested sand dunes the forested moraine around darnaway is just gorgeous i mean doing it well and quickly is a hard thing um because there are so many contours and they are so tiny and uh, being able to seal that detail is really hard it's about trying to trying to be quick in that in that terrain but it is absolutely beautiful there and very very satisfying when you get it right and i was you know when i knew the scottish six days was heading back to murray i was like 
yes I have to be there <laughs> and I think we've been lucky so many years like 2013 2015 with walk um as well and I've already I, I have to say I've um I've photocopied my maps from walk 2015 from the sprint relay so I've drawn up some of the sprint relay maps so uh I think me and a couple of juniors are going to go and have a little race around the uh, sprint relay maps um in then uh which is going to be really really cool I think we'll do that like the day we arrive and just get a little bit of uh reliving the walk memories uh back in because that was my that was my first walk so yeah there's worse ways to shake your legs out than running around a, a walk race that's uh yeah that yeah be pretty cool yeah for, i mean everyone, definitely I not in the intensity that that they were going around it but yeah it's <laughs> going to be a lot of fun i think there were some barriers though put there so we're just going to have to imagine that they exist um but uh, I mean, I, I hope I see lots of people there. I'll be commentating on the, there's a world ranking event uh, there, which is on Darnaway. Um, so I'll be doing the commentary for that. But I think most of the others have remote finishes. So we're not, we're not, we're only doing commentary on that day. But um, it does mean that I just get to fully enjoy the orienteering rather than also having to think about work on those days as well. Um, so yeah, if you, if you're heading up there, um, I hope you enjoy it as much as I will and even if it's even if you're a long time out in that forest it's a beautiful forest so just be glad you're there yeah yeah that's it's a good tip I hope my mum listens to that bit <laughs> <laughs> there's a few people I know who I hope they listen to that bit as well um, just savour it just be enjoy the privilege of running there is is what I like like to think just you know you just had more time to enjoy it than other people that's you know that's the they, way they should have that as, a, um, as like a sign on the way to the start if uh, as people pass it then yeah just gives them a little reminder before they yeah. go yeah. yeah exactly you want to spend more time in this terrain don't yeah. you? <laughs> well, anyway. it's value, value for money it's uh yeah yeah so 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 much orienteering coming up for the both of us um in the next couple of weeks i think the next time we'll have to reconvene will be after the world cup in the czech republic where we'll have to figure out what's gone on all of those the two sprint races is a sprint and a sprint relay and there's a middle and there's a long distance so loads to catch up on um so we'll have to bring you all that then yeah sounds really good looking forward to it